Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's episode is brought to you with the welcome support of Malbian Creek, UK's leading Greek delicatessen, supplier, and distributor of premium Greek produce. Be it wine, herbs, cheeses, or olive oil, from all over the wild corners of Greece, and working directly with small artisan producers. If you want to try some um, amazing traditional meats from Greece, preserved meats, why don't you get some Bavourakis organic smoked ciglino from Malbian Greek? So this is preserved um, and smoked um, pork in olive oil, and they follow a traditional Cretan recipe for it, which is really old. And uh, the meat is smoked using olive wood, and it's flavored with pepper and cumin. So this is kind of this is a kind of meat uh, and the kind of preservation techniques that go a long, long way to the past. And um, yeah, uh, it has some relation to our episode today. Or you can try the organic uh, Cretan sausages with cumin and vinegar. Again, another old Cretan recipe with uh, roots to the Byzantine um, Empire. Whatever you need, Malbin Greek has you covered. You can shop online and have the exquisite goods delivered to your doorstep across the UK, or you can visit the shop at Art17 Apollo Business Park, Lucy Way, SE16 4ET, Bermondsey, London. Malby and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. And, <laughs> of course, for all you dear listeners, Malby and Greek has an amazing discount of 15% of your next purchase. So go online, go to the website and type malbiandgreek.com forward slash delicious and you get 15% discount at the checkout. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to another edition of our Archaeogastronomical Adventures. My name is Thomas Dinas and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Welcome to this exciting new episode. And yeah, I'm very excited about this episode because it's all about the perhaps the earliest survived 
fragments in Greek of uh, cookbooks, of ancient cookbooks. And uh, this was all found um, in what is now Egypt, of course, and what was back then Egypt too. But yeah, this, uh, span, uh, these fragments span um, a period from 300 before Common Era until about um, 200, 300 AD. So, so period of five, 500 years or so. It's a terribly, <laughs> it's terribly exciting because just only a few bits of instructions and um, you see some, uh, some ingredients and some herbs and spices and it's so tempting to think about what, what could have been a whole book of these ancient recipes. Um, there was uh, loads of... Um, of um, famous and renowned ancient chefs who wrote cookbooks, uh, which they were called Opsartitikon. Uh, that's the name for the cookbooks in ancient Greek. Many of them wrote cookbooks, but unfortunately we have none surviving to our age, which is a shame. But yeah, these tiny little pieces of fragments found in uh, rubbish uh, heaps in uh, Greek-Roman Egypt... It's just all we have, and yeah, I've cooked some of the recipes from the, from these uh, from these fragments. So I thought I'll share it today with you the story of of these fragments and some of the recipes. So enjoy. Imagine discovering an entire library of long-lost classics, a poem from Sappho, the ancient Greek poetess, whose lines haven't been seen by human eyes since the fall of Rome. Imagine finding the only comedy of Sophocles, plays by Euripides, Pindar's paeans, St. Matthew's earliest gospel, New Testament apocrypha. Where in God's name is this buried and amazing Library of Alexandria. Hundred miles south of Cairo. Fayum town. At an ancient rubbish dump. 124 years ago. Bernard Pine Grenfell and Arthur Sarage Hunt. Scholars, professors and more importantly, papyrologists made an extraordinary discovery that will excite, tantalize and intrigue the archaeological world for the next century and still be part of a wider study today. This seemingly abandoned desert spot near a small and insignificant Egyptian village back then, for a period of 1,000 years, flourished as an important Hellenistic Egyptian city. Perhaps something that it was the third largest in Egypt as the Greek influence waned and the world was turning into the Roman sphere of influence. This city was called Oxyrhynchus, which translates as the city of the sharp-nosed fish. And 2,000 years ago, it was on canals leading directly to the river Nile, which as today, it was the lifeline of all Egypt's inhabitants. The Oxyrhynchus papyri are a group of manuscripts discovered during the late 19th and early 20th century, near Oxynichus in Egypt. 
For over a millennium, the inhabitants of the city would throw away their rubbish in a number of sites in the desert beyond the city limits. Amongst these items were texts written on papyri that the people of Oxirinhus no longer wanted. And of course, amongst these um, texts, it's a great deal of, um, of, of things that we find interesting um, about the lives of people back then and how was uh, their everyday existence, in a sense. So on January 11th, uh, 1897, a low mound was being dug when a piece of papyrus with unknown loya, which is um, sayings of Jesus, was brought to the surface and this would be later determined that is part of, uh, of the apocryphal Gospel of Thomas. Next, it was a leaf from the Gospel of Matthew. And then, even more pieces of papyri. In the first three months of the excavations, the men found enough papyri to fill 280 boxes. And, um, as you can imagine, uh, uh, it was these literary discoveries that initially excited Grefnel Hunt and their contemporaries in the late 19th century. I mean, people were were amazed to find unknown works from poets and writers from the ancient world, as well as um, parts of the Bible. It was it was really amazing. But um, <laughs> subsequent uh, scholars and generation of scholars have come to value even more the everyday material about the Greek and Byzantine Egypt, because uh, these rubbish dumps in Oxirinhus contained a time capsule of a very special kind. As Pompey preserves a snapshot, a frozen frame of Roman life, as it was on one catastrophic day, the buildings and the bodies of those who lived there, the Oxyrinchus papyri offers the converse, not bodies or buildings, but a paper trail of a whole culture. Who were these amazing dudes? And what made them dig in this... Um, Spots in the desert. Bernard Pine Grefnell was born in 1869 and he was a pioneering papyrologist specializing in the translation of ancient Egyptian writing systems. He trained under another legendary professor back then uh, called William Petrie and worked closely, as we said earlier on, with Arthur Hunt to establish the field of. Um, of translation of, of ancient papyrus. So they jointly led archaeological expeditions to recover papyri, including that expedition in Oxyrinchus in Middle Egypt, at the site of uh, Fayum. And they did it on behalf of the Greco-Roman branch of the Egypt Exploration Society. Um, Arthur Han was born in 1871. But this site... This site in the middle of nowhere, in a sense, when um, when Napoleon invaded Egypt, because let's face it, he invaded, he didn't arrive to liberate Egyptians or for any other reason. He might like Egypt and he thought it's an interesting place, but um, let's be honest, he wasn't there for the to admire the antiquities. The, the French and Napoleon were there to be the occupiers and loot, as everybody else did. But anyway... When Napoleon arrived in Egypt in 1798, 
One of his um, artists called Denon, who was following uh, the Napoleonic survey of Egypt, uh, he published a lithograph of uh, Fayum, that city. And this lithograph shows a little more than a few mounds, a single Roman column, the dome of a mosque, and some palm trees. Really not exactly a site that the early archaeologists uh, and Egyptologists would be likely interested to excavate. But it was there. There was a significant city and the happy accident of uh, the dry climate and the pile of ancient rubbish that gave a rare glimpse of the ancient Greco-Roman Egyptians' life. There's a portion of a papyrus roll from the 3rd or 4th century of our common era that contains one of the few surviving cookbooks in Greek from antiquity, featuring recipes for fish soup, pickled meat, lentil porridge, sprouts with honey, liver skewers, calamus sauce, lavage and cumin sauce, amongst other bits and bobs. Interpreting the recipe for the salt meat stew, which is the one I did most times from this, from these fragments, uh, interpreting it in um, in our in our uh, way, basically it says salt meat stew, salt meat or slice of gammon, or fresh meat. Similarly, salt meats are first boiled by themselves to remove saltiness, then all goes into a casserole. Four parts wine, two parts must, one part vinegar, coriander seed, thyme, anise, fennel, all roasted and put at the beginning. Simmer. When half done, add honey and a bit of cumin. Some also add pepper. And putting the stew into a warm serving vessel, add bits of warm bread. It is somehow very fitting that um, papyrus uh, survived only in Egypt because of the dry climate, because papyrus was native to Egypt as a plant, and from there the earliest um, moments of writing began, of humankind's writing. So it's, it's, it's very brilliant for me to think of that, because Greeks wrote in papyri, Romans wrote in papyri, there were probably millions of them all, all around Asia Minor and uh, mainland Greece, but almost nothing survives from that because of the climate. And yet the only ones that survive are in Egypt. Something, that, that whole connection of, of, uh, of the climate and the material and the manage to come to our age, um, of course only in sites that uh, they haven't been looted or burned or conquered, um, yeah, somehow this this um, makes it even more special that is found in Egypt. Because I often think um, the archaeologists of the future, so in 2000 years time or something, what will they know of our writings and of our age? What will they find? <laughs> if all our writings are digital, almost all our knowledge is online and on hard drives. Uh, this digital digital data won't won't last a hundred years, let alone two thousand years in the future. There will be nothing left from our age for the future generations to know. It will be even worse than papyri, to be honest. 
uh, which makes it um, <laughs> does really drills a point here about how ephemeral is all <laughs> is all, all all our knowledge, and um, yeah, you don't need um, looting or burning to to destroy the evidence of uh, past civilizations. Anyway, <laughs> back to our um, recipes. It's worth mentioning here what papyrus is and what made it so important to ancients, but also important for us too, learning about their lives and history now. Papyrus, from which uh, we get the modern word paper, is a writing material made from the papyrus plant, a reed which grows in the marshy areas around the Nile River. Papyrus was used as a writing material as early as 3000 BC and continued to be used to some extent until around 1100 AD. Papyrus is the Greek name for the plant and may come from the Egyptian word papuro, also given as papera, meaning the royal or that of the pharaoh, because the central government had control of papyrus processing as they owned the land and later oversaw the farms the plant grew on. The ancient Egyptians called the plant jet or jufi or wadj, forms of the concept of freshness. Wadj further denotes lushness, flourishing, greenness. Once papyrus was cut, harvested and processed into rolls, it was called gemma, which may mean clean or open, in reference to the fresh writing surface. Although it was produced exclusively in Egypt, where the papyrus plant grew, papyrus, the writing material, was exported throughout the classical world, and it was the most popular writing material for the ancient Greeks and Romans. Papyrus sheets are made by arranging two layers of papyrus, one on top of the other, at right angles. The layers are then pressed together, and the gum, released by the breakdown of the plant cellular structure, acts as a glue which bonds the sheet together. In ancient times, several sheets of papyrus were joined end-to-end to form a roll. These rolls could be 100 feet long, or more in length, and were the common form of papyrus in the ancient world. The ancient Library of Alexandria was home to thousands of papyrus rolls containing the literary works of ancient authors. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Krefnel describes the dig. The workmen are divided into groups of four or six. Half men, half boys, and in the beginning are arranged in a line along the bottom of one side of the mound. Each group have a space two meters broad and about three meters long assigned to it. At Oxyrinchus, the level at which damp has destroyed all papyrus is in the flat ground within a few inches of the surface. And in a mound, this damp level tends to rise somewhat. Though, of course, not nearly as quickly as the mound rises itself. When one trench has been dug down to the damp level, one proceeds to excavate another immediately above it and throw the earth into the trench which has been finished and so on right through the mound until one reaches the crest when one begins again from the other side. Fortunately, for modern scholars and curious people like you, the dry climate of Egypt has preserved thousands of fragments of ancient papyrus. These fragments form the basis of the field of papyrology, the study of ancient papyrus. Papyrus texts offer scholars new literary sources as well as documents such as letters, government records, which give much insight into the life of ancient Egypt. A testament, in some ways, of the strength and endurance of papyrus rolls in the Egyptian soil is the discovery by Pierre Talet a little more than a decade ago in a remote part of the Egyptian desert, a few miles inland from the Red Sea, far away from any city, ancient Ramondon, of a stunning discovery. A set of 30 caves honeycombed into limestone hills, but sealed up and hidden from view for millennia. The caves had served as a kind of boat storage depot during the fourth dynasty of the Old Kingdom, about 4,600 years ago. Then, in 2013, Talet came upon something quite unexpected. Entire rolls of papyrus, some a few feet long and still relatively intact, written in hieroglyphics as well as hieratic, the cursive script the ancient Egyptians used for everyday communication. Talet realized that uh, he was dealing with the oldest known papyri in the world. Now this is where it gets really exciting. The papyri were written by men who participated in the building of the Great Pyramid, the tomb of the pharaoh Khufu, the first and largest of the three colossal pyramids at Giza, 
just outside of modern Cairo. Among the papyri was the journal of a previously unknown official named Merer, who led a crew of some 200 men that traveled from one end of Egypt to the other, picking up and delivering goods of one kind or another. Merer mentions stopping at Tura, a town along the Nile famous for its limestone quarry, filling his boats with stone and taking it up the Nile to Giza. In fact, Merer mentions reporting to the noble Ankhaf, who was known to be the half-brother of the pharaoh Khufu, and now, for the first time, was definitely identified as overseeing some of the construction of the Great Pyramid. And since the pharaohs used the Tura limestone for the pyramid's outer casing, and Merer's journal chronicles the last known year of Khufu's reign, the entries provide a never-before-seen snapshot of the ancients putting finishing touches on the Great Pyramid. Isn't it this fascinating? The fragile papyrus got burned, looted, wet and moldy elsewhere in Europe and in the world, but survived to Egypt's dry climate and reached us from 4,500 years ago. Papyrus eventually gave way to parchment and later paper. The large plantations in Egypt, which used to cultivate high-grade papyrus for manufacture, disappeared and wild papyrus also began to disappear as the climate of Egypt slowly changed. And with this, the art of papyrus making remained dead for a thousand years. During the 20th century, when more and more papyrus texts came to light, scholars began to investigate how ancient papyrus manufacturing occurred. Several variations of the basic scheme, which is outlined in Pliny's Natural History, were proposed and tested, but none has produced a writing material which is of the quality of the ancient papyrus. 2,000 years ago, papyrus making was a booming industry, and papyrus was made by highly skilled craftsmen working with a specially cultivated strain of papyrus that was bred to produce a high-quality writing material. Today is made from the wild strains of the plant, and the manufacturing process is carried out on a small scale by the few specialists who choose to make it. From the ancient rubbish dumps of Oxyrinchus, a lot of interesting texts and correspondence survived, which includes uh, the following, an account uh, probably rendered by an official to his superior of expenses connected to the dispatch of several boatloads of grain by river um, to Alexandria. So the papyrus reads Account For the vessel of Triadolphus 3,400 atabai of wheat at 21 drachma 712 drachma to the same at 4 drachma per 1,000 12 drachma carriage of 171 atabai of wheat transported the next bit is missing. Then, the drying place at 4 drachma per 100. 6 drachma, price of a jar of wine, sent to the assistants and soldiers. 8 drachma, 1 obol, to the elders of office for the wages of 11 workmen employed in lading. 6 drachmas, 2 obols, to Apulkis, guard of the granary, 
as his salary. To be 18 drachmas more. Total expenditure, 762 drachmas, three obols of which text missing. For the vessel of Ilorion, son of Ammonius, 1,500 atabae, and for the vessel of Pafsiris, son of Apollonius, 500 atabae. Total, 2,000 atabae at 21 drachmas. Payment to Orion, pilot, the sum given 8 drachmas. Price of a jar, sent to assistance soldiers, 8 drachmas, 1 obol. Price of two more jars sent to sailors, 16 drachmas, 2 obols. Price of the vegetables for the same, without bread, 4 obols. To the elders of office, for the wages of 7 workmen, employed in lading, 4 drachmas. To one workman assisting beyond, and embarking for three days, five drachmas. Total expenditure, 466 drachmas. Sum of the whole expenditure, 1,228 drachmas, three obols. Another, another papyri text uh, reads a letter to a woman called Athenarus, announcing the dispatch of oil and fruit. The writer, whose name is lost, seems to have occupied some official position, for he mentions that he, he was about to accompany the prefect to Coptos. First of all, I pray for your health. Please receive, through Cedron, for Dionysius, four cotillae of unguent and a basket of dessert containing 100 figs, 100 nuts, and half a chus, which is a squat, rounded form of inohoi, which means wine pourer, of oil, of which you will give four cotillae to the said Dionysius and keep two cotillae for yourself. Greet your mother and matris and her children and all who love you. I am going to Coptos with the prefect, addressed to the house of Pafsanias, ex-clerk of the city, for Athenarus, daughter of Cerdon. Another recipe from, uh, from the book, from the papyri, is uh, liver oxyrincus. Cut up good liver, marinate it in oil with salt, coriander, thyme, silphium, opos, vinegar. Grill it on a spit at high temperature. Serve. Grefnel writes, In the winter of 1898-99, we obtained permission to excavate the desert of the northwest corner of Fayum, between Gebala and the southwest end of the Briquet al Kurun, this tract of flat desert, in which several sites are situated, was for the most part irrigated in Ptolemaic and Roman times, and the remains of the old canals are clearly traceable. Here, as on the east side of Ayum, the margin of cultivation receded in the 4th century, and the outlying villages were abandoned. Now, however, the reclamation is proceeding rapidly, under the easy terms offered by the Egyptian government to those who are willing to undertake the construction of the necessary canals. The most promising site in our concession was the Maiden's Palace, which in 1898 was on the edge of the desert and we began work on December the 9th. So this is another letter of um, someone called Philometor. Letter from a farmer of the beer tax at Theadelphia 
to a company of fish soldiers, directing them to support a certain Petesis, who had paid his tax for making beer. Philometor Ithus, farmer of the beer tax at Theadelphia for the twelfth year, to Psais and partners, fish soldiers, greeting. Please support Petesis, an inhabitant of Archelais. I have received the tax due from him and have no claim against him. Farewell, the twelfth year of Choyak. There's a quite lovely letter um, from the 3rd century uh, CE from Diogenes to Alexandros. Diogenes to Alexandros, her brother, greetings. As you instructed Tamois about a house for us to move into, we found one which we shall let go before we move over to Agathinos. The house is Baesion, next to the house of Claudius. We are moving there in Famenoth. I want you to know that I received from Botos 120 drachmas. I send you, text missing, of purple dye by Sarapiakos. The letter which you forwarded to me to deliver to Bolfios, I have delivered. Many greetings to little Theon. Eight toys have been brought for him by the woman who you told me to greet, and I have forwarded this to you. Address to Aurelius Alexandros, to Bolfios. So this is quite an interesting one because it's information about house hunting, news and greetings, very, very human, very similar to our age. Someone amongst all these scraps of papyri, there were there was some that um, when translated, the, the archaeologists found, the papyrologists found out that they were... Um, parts of ancient cookbooks or recipes uh, that people wrote. And <laughs> there is one uh, on the preparation of a type of fish called uh, tenia. And basically it tells you to clean it and uh, wash it and then cut in pieces and cover it with uh, cheese and oil. That's from, a, from a, apparently from a, a recipe from Mythaikos in his cookbook. So Mythaikos supposed to be an ancient, um, famous ancient um, chef. From Glavkos, the locker, there's another recipe which basically has meat and um, it's, a, it's a mixture with uh, um, silphium and uh, honey or um, and honey and, and vinegar and milk and um, lots of um, fragrant herbs, as it says on the text. Then there's another recipe called uh, Mima from Epenetos, another another ancient author, chef, cook, which is uh, with uh, lots of um, small cut meat, again with uh, cheese, silphium, uh, cumin, thyme, fresh thyme, dry thyme, coriander, vinegar, and so on. So yeah, this recipe from a pen, from a penatus called Mima, which uh, you make from any sacrificed um, mammal or bird, and uh, basically it instructs you to cut um, the meat in small pieces uh, with some intestine, and you mix them with uh, the vinegar, uh, grilled cheese, silphium, cumin, fresh cumin and dried cumin, fresh thyme and dried thyme. Uh, savory, 
fresh coriander um, and uh, coriander seeds and um, fried onion. Uh, also, you can put, it tells you, you can put uh, honey or raisins and some uh, seeds of uh, the sour pomegranate. And then you serve it as your dinner. And then here we also find a recipe uh, from Pollux, which doesn't give us uh, the source where, where Pollux finds this recipe from, but it's that uh, recipe for threon, which I remember in the previous episode about the Yorkshire puddings. It was, it was a very early type of pudding from ancient Greece. There's another recipe from Artemidoros. Again, doesn't um, give us the source of, of, of this uh, recipe for a particularly good variety of a dish called uh, Matisse. So this is a dish made from, um, from birds. And it's something like a, a sausage, Macedonian sausage, and which is called Matia. It has lots of uh, herbs and you can eat it cold. Basically, the recipe instructs you to uh, to kill and uh, to kill the bird and let it mature for a day. Just a day old. Uh, use some stale up bread and um, and then you season it and then you mix the meats of the bird with um, with, the, um, with the greens. There's a recipe for lentil stew. Carefully mash the lentil in the bird meat stock and boil this. Uh, in wine, water, aniseeds, caraway seeds, dried dill, but cook the lentils specially, grate onions with oil and vinegar. Let the sprouts of vines come to light. After you washed and rubbed, put mustard and honey on it, then dip. Cut up a nice liver and dress it with oil, with salt, coriander, thyme, fig juice, vinegar, and put it on a skewer. Roast them hot and serve. Carefully prepare loins and meats and fry them in salt, coriander, fig juice, but keep the hot broth, vinegar and oil in the saucepan to one part sweet wine to two parts a little salt. When the mixture boils, throw in tips of oregano. Mythaikos uh, was uh, one of the oldest known authors of cookbooks and gave us a recipe for the preparation of a type of fish called tenia which shows that the cookbook was intended for practical use. It was a Sicilian cuisine that Mythaikos represented, and as such, his dialect was Dorian, probably from a Doric colony in Sicily. From these amazing fragments of papyrus, from this incredible little tantalizing evidence of recipes, I've made, um, I've made some of them, and the one that I made the most and it was the most successful uh, was the the dish with a cured salted uh, smoked uh, ham pork basically um i mean that was i mean the salted there was a lot of salted ham and the cured pork uh, back then it was it was of course the main way of keeping something uh, lasting longer especially you know uh, down in hot egypt without um, refrigeration yeah but um, yeah, I made it um, a few times, and I made it um, sometimes with um, you know salted gammon, which I boiled, obviously. But um, mainly, I did it um, as a smoked, uh, as a smoked recipe, basically. So 
uh, for me it was it was a the idea was that um, I I slowly smoked a, a pork shoulder or something similar in the barbecue, so I kind of followed the techniques for slow smoking um, that you use in modern the pulled pork type of thing that we do from the American uh, U.S. barbecues. So I did in a similar I did it in a similar way, but using ancient uh, ingredients. So for me it was um, it was uh, it was something like um, you know, I smoked it for four hours, uh, I brined it firstly for 24 hours then uh, the next day I smoked it over some uh, oak uh, oak wood for four hours then I was um, then I, I covered it with um, all this uh, seasoning and herbs and spices uh, so thyme thyme, aniseed cumin, uh, black pepper um, oregano and so on and um, yeah I made the sauce like a barbecue sauce, but an ancient barbecue sauce. So I, I used uh, fresh um, white grapes, which I blended them and made made the grape juice a must. And I boiled that with uh, honey, white wine, white wine vinegar, lots of black pepper, and um, I let it, you know, become nice, thick and sticky. And then I was covering the the pork while I was cooking with this with this sauce. And yeah, it. it it works really well. It's very tasty, and it feels like an ancient uh, variation of um, all the smoked um, U.S. style barbecue. So yeah, um, that's it for today's episode. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed um, the discovery of uh, ancient recipes in the most unusual of places uh, in an ancient rubbish dump, and. Uh, Yeah, thanks for joining me. Uh, See you next time. Thank you so much for listening. This was the Delicious Legacy Podcast, and I'm Thomas Dinas. Please subscribe to Patreon so you get a wealth of information, a wealth of exclusive writing and material, uh, such as recipes and uh, musings uh, by me. And also you get the podcast earlier, and most importantly, ad-free. Finally, I want—I would like to add that um, I'm doing um, some uh, videos, some re- ancient recipe videos for you guys, and um, this will be posted exclusively to my Patreon backers. So if you want to have some videos, uh, if you want to see some uh, videos and what, what they're going to be about, um, check my YouTube channel, The Delicious Legacy, and you'll find something there as a small taster for for what to expect. Thank you and good night. Have a lovely week and um, see you at the next episode.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.